Good morning. Good morning. Uh, let's just take a moment to pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have sh you shaped this world out of love with us in mind. And as you shaped the world, you shaped our very bodies. And we ask you, Lord God, that you will continually shape our spirit and our hearts. May we, Lord God, be so touched and changed by you that we will follow you just as the nation of Israel followed your cloud out into the wilderness, knowing, Lord God, that you would provide for them. So we pray that we would decrease and that you would increase in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Our reading to consider this morning is from Mark chapter 8, beginning at verse 31. And it reads, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give you in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in the adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Amen. Amen. It's good to be here with you this morning, Shepherd's Gate, and um, for this wonderful opportunity, and I don't take it lightly to be invited by Pastor Tim um, as I join you in this whole series of family values and the idea that faith does make a difference in our life, and especially when you have a family of faith that trusts God and follows God. And as you know this, just from what we heard earlier, that you have part of your family in Honduras looking to see where God is working and knowing that wherever God is working, that God does the work and that what he starts, he finishes. And so it's good to be here with you this morning. Um, and as I'm here to talk about this whole idea that our family follows Jesus and just putting that disclaimer in that uh, there are no perfect families, there are no perfect people, and there are no perfect churches, that's why we have the cross. That's why we have Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. And so with this in mind, uh, I think about this idea of following Jesus. You know, following Jesus is, requires vision. A vision because when Jesus looked at his disciples and he called them out, he told them from the very beginning, he said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. He saw something in them that they were not even aware was in them. And he called it up and he called it out in their life. When we talk about being, having a vision, a vision for ourselves, a vision for our family, even a vision for a church or, or an organization, it is looking beyond what is obvious. It is seen below the surface and the things that God has already put into place. And yet, one of the things that is important in the kingdom of God is that faith is required for many things to come forth in our life. And so when we talk about this idea of having vision, that means that 
we have been shaped, that our minds and our hearts and our spirits have been reshaped and reframed. Whether it's logically, spiritually, or psychically, we have been changed and shaped. And so a good example is this, is that uh, when we read in John chapter 6, there's this account of a massive crowd that's there because Jesus and his disciples have been spreading the word. And it said that there were so many people that the people were hungry, and all of a sudden they came to Jesus and told him, and he asked him the question, what do we have? And they said, all we got is five loaves of bread and two fish. And this is the idea that is important for us to see that he had vision because when he heard it, it says this is what he did. He said he took the five loaves of bread and the two fish and he, and he prayed and then he blessed. And then as a result of that, five, over 5,000 people were fed just from the idea that he gave thanks and was trusting in his father to do something that blew their mind. And so when we look at this idea of vision, vision calls us to be able to follow Jesus. And when you follow Jesus, you are hardwired differently because it's one thing to say that you're going to follow him. It's another thing to say that you're going to believe in him. It's one thing to say that you're going to follow him. And it's another thing to say that you know about Jesus. Because when you know him, you understand this, that we are called to live a life that is counterculture. Called to live a life that is counterculture. And to live a life that is counterculture means this, that our values and our worldview is different from the rest of society. It means that it is totally different and disconnected, and oftentimes it will make us nervous. And so Jesus called his disciples to follow him for three years. Because in those three years, he wanted to make sure that he was going to download a whole different mindset of what it meant to follow God and to trust God and to live for God in their life. And so if we want want our family to follow Jesus, it calls for us to be able to shape our family's mindset and and our family's spiritual space so that we can live in a way that is counterculture. One indicator that we're living counterculture is this, is that counterculture is, is accepting that we are designed for purpose and not popularity, that we were designed for purpose and not popularity. And that's hard today because people, everybody wants their 15 minutes of fame. Everybody wants to be somehow out there, whether it's going to be uh, on Instagram, Facebook or whatever. Everyone wants to a certain degree 15 minutes of fame. And yet God never called us to be able to be preoccupied with popularity. He called us to live a life of purpose. And purpose means that it lives beyond just that 30-second or 15-minute or one-week idea of of it getting out there. Purpose means that it is for eternity. And so when we understand this idea of living on purpose, we understand that living on purpose reminds us that we must face the risk of being rejected. We must face the risk of being rejected. And so when we embrace that sober reality, it's kind of difficult because who doesn't want to be liked? Who signs up saying, I want to be rejected? And yet the truth is this, is that this is the reality that Jesus was putting before his disciples. As we see here in verse 31, he says, him, the son of man is going to suffer many things and he's going to be rejected. He's telling him, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to get with the program. And so he helps them to understand that although he came with a great purpose, there was great pressure. And the pressure was that of being rejected. That even though he came in order to save mankind, even mankind was going to have a very big problem with the fact of why he had come. And so rejection is a reality that should not surprise us when it happens. You should not be surprised when you're rejected, when you're living out your purpose for God. 
In fact, when we understand that rejection is there, we, we begin to also can be, be encouraged by the fact that you're not going to be the first one nor the last one to be rejected. In fact, the word of God helps us understand that the kingdom of God was established and built on rejects. And so when you go and you look at the book of Genesis and you read there, it says that Joseph was rejected by his brother, sold into slavery and sent off to Egypt because he dared to share a dream with his brothers. The next book in Exodus, Moses is there wanting to deliver his nation from out of Egyptian oppression, and yet they rejected him. In fact, he had to run away for his life. Then you read later on in 1 Samuel about David, and David was rejected by Saul, the first king of Israel. Even though God had chosen David to be the next king of Israel, David spent a majority of his life running for his life from Saul because he was jealous of his giftedness and jealous of his reputation. Then you go in John, John chapter 4, and there's this woman. She's a Samaritan woman by the well, and she's also rejected because she made some unwise decisions in regards to relationships. But what is amazing is that if you read the rest of that account with the woman that was rejected, she becomes the premier evangelist already in the book of John because she goes and tells the people, come meet a man who told me everything about myself, and the whole town came out to follow Jesus. Jesus also understood that he came to be rejected so that centuries before he showed up, the psalmist wrote, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Jesus knew he would be the cornerstone, and yet he knew that he would be rejected. But isn't it amazing that although he was rejected, now we see that the very person of Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of our faith, that the resurrection and that the open tomb is the very thing that draws people to Jesus Christ, that although he was rejected and put on a shameful cross, the cross still shows that Jesus still has power. That even when people are passing away, they still are drawn to the cross, even though it does not make sense. And so the kingdom of God was built on rejects. Look at the person next to, him, to you and say, you look like a reject. <laughs> it's all right, you'll get over it. If it happened to Jesus, it's going to happen to you. We were not created for popularity. We were created for purpose. And so it's tough to roll out this reality to our children that they're going to face rejection in their life, especially in a world that wants to force people and pressure people to conform. And yet, uh, that's been part of our understanding and part of our assignment. My wife and I, Shakina, have understood that that's part of our assignment because we have five boys. And we understood that it was going to be very important for them to understand what does it mean to understand that you must line yourself up with God in a world that is oftentimes trying to conform you and make you pressure you into its image. And so we help our children follow Jesus by, first of all, and in the past we've done this, we tried to make sure that we shared our faith story. Shared our faith story. Your faith story should be a story that always makes sure that you share how Jesus intersects your life. A faith story doesn't mean that there is no sadness, no sorrow, no trouble, no setbacks, no, tor no, tor no turmoil, but it is the account of how God shows up and intervenes, hears our concerns, and answers in such a way that it just astounds us. And so our story should be one of joy of how God helps us to be able to overcome because we are more than overcomers through Christ who strengthens us. 
And so this idea that we share our faith story, and so in Psalm chapter 9, the psalmist says, he says, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, with all of my heart, and I will tell of all of your wonderful deeds. Your faith story should be talking about the wonderful deeds that God has done in your life. Your faith story should not be a rehearsal on Monday to tell you, tell other people how bad life is and how bad things are going, but it should be a faith story that even if you're not there, you can still say, but I'm getting there. Even if you've not had the victory, you know that Jesus Christ is our victory, and so we share our faith story. And so we wanted to do that, and we tried to share that with uh, with our sons. And so as I just shared, we have five sons, and the first three uh, pregnancies uh, that my wife had, for the most part, they were ordinary. I mean, as ordinary as it can be, but it's ordinary. But on the fourth pregnancy, uh, she started talking about how she wasn't feeling good, and it just didn't feel the same. It just, she, just, she, she didn't have energy, and things weren't feeling right. And so um, I was deeply concerned, but I didn't tell her I was deeply concerned. I mean, I was, in fact, I was worried, very worried. And so uh, I was, remember sitting in the room, and I prayed. I said, Lord, if the reason that this pregnancy, pregnancy is so different let it be different by, us, by her having twins. <laughs> I didn't tell her I prayed that. <laughs> I did not. What is amazing, I don't know where that came from. Um, but I was sharing in the earlier service that it must have been planted because what happened, I believe, was that her mom called her sometime, you know, initially when she was pregnant. Her mom called her uh, and said to her, the Lord has shown me that one of you, she has two other sisters, one of you is going to be pregnant with twins. And she said, not me. No, not me. <laughs> and so we just let it ride. And then maybe a couple months later, we were visiting a, a, a friend pastor in another state. And he was asking us, you know, do we know the, 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 the gender of the, of the baby? We said, no. And he says, I think you all are going to have twins. And um, we said, we just laughed, no, no, we don't think so. He said, oh, tell him, Uncle Dad said, you all going to be, you all going to have twins. I'm going to be the one. He said, yeah, if we have twins, we're going to drop them right off at your step. <laughs> then we showed up at the doctor's office for her to have her sonogram in August. And we went in, as we were walking in, there was a lady who was standing there, and we didn't even know her. We never met her before. And she again asked a question, you know, kind of how far along are you and everything else, and we shared how far along she was. And then she said, you all are going to have twins. <laughs> so we said, no, nah, we don't think so. So we went inside, and she sat on the chair, you know, and the doctor went ahead and brought out the device and was, you know, rubbing her and everything else. He said, we just want to get this straight because three sets of people have told us we're going to have twins. We just want you to confirm that this is going to be one child. <laughs> he said, oh, pastor, don't worry about it. You know, and so he's moving around. He said, see, oh, there you go. There you go. I said, oh, okay. And he moved it a little bit, and I saw this image. I said, what is that? <laughs> and he said, wow. I said, is that a medical term? <laughs> he said, yep, you all got twins. <laughs> and Shakina was crying and laughing all day, and that, you know, just, oh, <laughs> And so here it was, is that, we didn't, we didn't make it happen, but God was getting our hearts ready and got my heart ready to ask that, that, that he do something, what he was already going to do, but he wanted us to be ready. 
And so prophetically, he was already working through people to confirm something that he'd already begun in our life, but he wanted us to get ready. And sometimes God has to get us ready before he actually does some things in our life. And so we wanted them to understand that this is the faith story, that even though you may not have planned that God has a greater purpose for you in your life. And so we teach our children, we want them to understand, we don't believe in luck. We believe in the Lord. Amen. We don't tell people, we don't, we don't ever use the word luck in our house. We don't ever, we say, we say we are blessed, we are highly favored, we've been, God is watching over us, but we never say luck because it's never anything random. God always does everything intentional and on purpose. We also help our children follow Jesus when we inform them to expect tension. Tension. And tension, the tension is when you're wanting to become more like Jesus. When you want to be shaped so that you're, you have a heart that is like Jesus and you have eyes and that see things like Jesus. And so the idea is that when you want to follow Jesus, there's going to be tension because it's the idea that he's calling us to be uncomfortable. And when we follow Jesus, he said, he, he noticed what he said. He said, you must be willing to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Sounds like a calling to be uncomfortable. Calls like, it, it is a call to remind us that we are not here simply to just get into cruise control and cruise our way through life. But it is a calling that says that we are willing to come underneath some things that we did not expect in our life. And so that's what happens for Peter. Peter, uh, Jesus is sharing with the disciples that there's going to be tension in your life. And Peter, Peter does not like it. And so notice what he says. He says he pulled Jesus aside and he began to say to him that, no, 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 this, this, this cannot happen. And Jesus has to let Peter know, you need to get back in your lane. You need to understand this, that this is above, in the military, it's called your pay grade. This is above your pay grade. We're not asking for your acceptance. Just know that this is what's going to happen. And so what happens is that Peter hears this, and he, he now has to get the, he has to grasp what Jesus is saying. Jesus wants him to understand that I'm doing this because I value what my father values. I value his purpose and I value his, his plans. And so guess what? If you're going to be with me, you're going to have to value my desire and value my purposes and value the plan that has been laid out for me by my father. And so it's about values because values shape our character and they also shape our faith culture. And so with our boys, we were, we, you know, we, we engaged in wanting to shape their character and their faith culture. And so uh, my wife, who was very creative and you know, we, oftentimes we would talk, I would talk about core values, and she, being the very, very uh, creative person, would sit up, we were sitting at the table, and she came up and said, we have five family values. And she said to the, to the boys, you're going to repeat that after me. We have five family values. We have five family values. He said, and she said, the first, fa uh, first family value is this, love God, family first, work hard, be honest, and be kind. Those are five family values. All five of the boys know them. Love God, family first, be kind, be honest, and work hard. And so this whole idea that value, those, those values, they shape us so that when we go through and there's pressure in life, whenever things come, we, do, we revert back to the very thing that has been put into us. And so those five family values have shaped us even when things are very difficult in our life. And so one of the things that I also said, and as I think about it, is that as we're going through life, it is very important that even when you have values, it is good that you know how to laugh. Amen. Laugh frequently. 
Laugh at yourself. Laugh when you say silly stuff and stupid stuff. Laugh when you trip over, you trip over your own feet. My children laugh at me when I trip. I mean, I've never seen it. I, I've stubbed my toe, and they, and they, they break out hilariously. And, and, you know, I want to get upset, but then I say, you know, I might as well just laugh while I'm limping around the house. But, I learned, but I've learned that you must go through life and know how to laugh because if you don't have a sense of humor and you have a, a sense of value, you can have only duty in your life and you're going to be that person that people do not want to be around because we're always going, I got my duty, I got to do this, I got to do that. But we need to be able to have a sense of humor and be able to laugh at ourselves and not take ourselves too seriously. And so we wanted to make sure that we helped our children understand that if we're going to follow Jesus, we must be able to be ready to engage tension. And then next, we understand we help our children follow Jesus when we we encourage them to pray in faith, to pray in faith. So here it is, and later on in Mark, in chapter 11, Jesus said to them, Therefore I say to you, whenever you pray, believe that you have received it, and it shall be yours. Believe that you have received it, and it shall be yours. This is not some Eastern mysticism. Because I know people think, you know, you know, get up there and believe it, call on the universe, touch the universe, the universe, you speak to the universe, the universe responds. No, that, this is not what, this is, Jesus is saying, whatever you pray, believe that you have received it and it shall be yours. That is to say that when you pray, make sure that, you, that your prayers are in alignment with my purposes. And the idea is that one example is that as we sang the praise team, rocked it, as it talked about, he takes us from victory to victory. It helps us to overcome battles, and so our prayer should be, Lord, help us to overcome the, the battles that are in our life. Help us to make it through the valleys in our life. Whenever there's a mountain in my life, help me to believe that I can speak to that mountain, and that mountain will move because guess what? You are greater than the mountain. And so we ask God and we trust God because we know that God, only God can pull off the things and do the things that we can never, ever do in our life. And so in order to be able to see that in our life, faith activates the things that God wants to do in our life. Remember what Jesus told the disciples when they couldn't cast out the demon in Matthew chapter 17? He was upset with them because he said, I've already given you the authority to cast out demons, and you have this one little problem, and you could not cast out the demons. Why? Because this requires faith and prayer and fasting. And so we need those things in order to be in our life to be able to trust God and so that God will bring things to fulfillment in our life. And so we pray in faith. And so when I took the call, I took a call from, uh, from Orlando. And some of you all know this. We were in Orlando. We've been in Orlando for 20 years. Orlando was all my children knew. My, my wife and I grew up on the south side of Chicago, but Orlando was all that they knew. And so when we came here and I was sharing that, you know, when I go sometimes in the CVS and they ask you for your number and I give them my area code, they say, where is that? I said, that's Orlando. Orlando? You left Orlando to come to Michigan? I said, yep, yep, yep. That's what I did. That's what I did. And yet the reality, I came because God sent an invitation for me to come and be a missionary at large in the state of Michigan in the city of Detroit. And when we, left from, uh, when we left from Orlando, they had friends, they had family, we had family, extended family. And uh, 
My son, we have five sons. My, my, my oldest son said, well, you know, we, you all go. Please go. But I'm staying in Tallahassee. My second son, though, was, his, was in his junior year. And my third son was going into his freshman year. And we showed up here and, and, got in, and came to Michigan. And I remember as we were at the high school and walking around, and I, you know, I said to my, my second son, Kairos, and I said, you know what, it's all right. God's gonna, God, is gonna, God is in control of this. And so Kairos wasn't sure what his major was going to be. He was still figuring it out. And then when the senior year came, he was playing lacrosse, but he still didn't know what college he was going to go to. And we were concerned about this, and we didn't know exactly what was going to happen. Well, Kairos had a friend on the lacrosse team, and his friend was being recruited by a coach from out of Tennessee. Um, and his friend was uh, talking to the coach, and he said to the coach, you know, I'm going to come, but you need to look at my friend Kairos, because uh, he plays lacrosse too. And the coach, after he listened to him, went ahead, and we went down to visit him. He then offered a scholarship to Kairos. It was, you know, packed in with both an athletic and an athletic scholarship. And so Kairos went down to that university there. He's in his major. Now he's about in his fifth, his, almost his four and, a, four and a half years. He's about to graduate, and he's in his major. While he was there, then the coach came, came back and knew about the other, my other son, Canaan, and then what happened, he determined, he said he wanted to recruit my third son, Canaan, to go and to also be at Lincoln Memorial University. So both of them ended up going on scholarships to the same university, playing on the same team, almost in the same major. And all I can say to my sons is this, is that you just got to trust God. When you don't know how this is all going to work out, you need to believe that God is ordering your steps. The Bible says that the steps of a righteous person are ordered by the Lord. You need to believe that all things are possible to the ones who believe in him. You need to remember what he says in Psalms. He said that I once was young, but now I'm old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken. Amen. You need to believe that God can take you from one mountain to another mountain, can take you from one valley to another and place you in the place that he wants you to be. And even though it does not feel good, it does not look right, God is a God who helps us to overcome, and God is a God of victory, and through him we have victory in our lives. And so we pass on the story to tell him you can trust him because he's not going to forsake you and he's not going to leave you and he's not going to drop you and he's not going to let you down. Here is the God who is, who was, and who is to come. And he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And all of his promises are yes and amen. And so we want, and we've always tried to make sure, haven't done it perfectly, but get them to understand, as you follow Jesus, you'll see Jesus show up in your life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your amazing grace and your amazing protection and provision. We thank you, Lord God, that what you've begun in your life, you will finish it. We thank you that you are the great author and that even when it looks, Lord God, that our, this is the last chapter, we thank you that there is another chapter for our life. So we pray now, Lord God, that you will cover us and comfort us and carry those, Lord God, who are hurting, who have questions, who are in uncertainty, who are in crisis, and remind us all, Lord God, that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, and with you all things are possible. We trust you and we, we surrender our lives to you, in Jesus' name we pray, amen.